We had a really fascinating discussion today with a retired major general on Donald Trump's statements regarding NATO and whether or not those statements put NORAD at risk. We also spoke to a Manitoba woman who works from home and gets a lot of deliveries to her home. And she says there are a lot of delivery drivers who are not following simple company protocols. It's Wednesday, which means our weekly Wednesday Jets chat. Leah Hextall joined us and as always was on fire. And based on something dumb that Greg did, we asked you to tell us about your moments of being a bonehead. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling. We are Mackling and McGarry, and this is the Wednesday, February 21st podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. Much to discuss And what happened last night at Canada Life Centre, good news for the Jets. But I want to start with some some good news in the making. An update to the sinkhole. We learned back on like February 12th that a huge sinkhole had opened on Union Avenue East between Gray and uh, Chalmers East, right beside George V. School. Which is where I went yesterday for I Love to Read Month. How big is this? How big is this sinkhole? Paint us a radio picture, Brett McGarry. I'm not at the, guessing the, the size, but it's got to be at least 10 feet by 10 feet. They showed me pictures when it first happened, and it looked like there was a sea underneath, just the, the river underneath. The... So it would swallow a, a small car, potentially. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's big. And you can, if you want, you can see a picture of it on my Instagram story. It's, it'll be up for a few more hours at Brett McGarry on the Instant Grams. But um, so I went there for I Love to Read. I got there 10.30-ish. And uh, the, there was a city crew there. There was a crew there filling in the sinkhole. So they, they, when I got in, the staff were excited. Oh, they're finally filming this thing in. Because it's been sitting there for, because when they closed it, they said it's just going to be, that street's going to be closed for the foreseeable future. So they're they're working on it. By the time I left, the crew had gone, because I guess they put down their first layer. I don't know. It was still, it was steaming. They they must have just left when I got out of the school. So they still had more to put in, but I guess they had to drop the base. I don't know how that stuff works. But anyway, if you live... Or take sinkhole alley, then uh, hopefully it'll be uh, fixed up sometime soon. So the famous sinkhole is uh, disappearing. Uh, how was your appearance as the famous radio guy <laughs> at this school? And and did the kids have any clever questions for you? Because they, they always do. And they're dying often to know the answer to one question in particular, if they're of a certain age or sort of a, a obsessed with. How old are you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was really cute. So I was recruited by, we'll just go by her teacher name, Madame Ott, grade one class. I went to school with Madame Ott. We were in the same grade, like from kindergarten through to grade 12. And the kids asked how old I am. And I said, well, here's the thing. Do you know how old your teacher is? No. And she, I look over at her and she's laughing. So I said, well, then I can't tell you. <laughs> if, if, if her age is a secret, then my age is a secret. And they, they started to, and to try to ask questions. And then they would wait for a little bit. They'd ask more questions about radio and stuff, and then they'd come back. When did you graduate from high school? Can't tell you that. <laughs> what grade are these kids again? One. Grade one. <laughs> yeah. So their their detective uh, powers are at play. Like yeah. they're they're trying to find another way to solve this riddle. Yeah. Which is impressive. It was impressive. Yeah. They kept me on my toes. Yeah. Because I I almost blew it a couple of times. <laughs> and then but and then I said, Oh no, I can't answer that question. Good one though, kids. 
Uh, so that was fun. It's a lot of fun going to read to the kids. And I once again read The Couch Potato, and they very much enjoyed it. I, I spoke to a couple of classes, got to read that story twice. It's great, man. So on the subject, by the way, of I Love to Read Month and the importance of reading uh, stories to kids, we're going to speak to an educator tomorrow morning on that front. When's your date with, uh, where are you off to? I'm off to a couple of different schools. I have to look at my calendar here. The 20, I think 27th and the 28th. So okay. next week, uh, nice. just to wrap things up, I am off to Polson School on the 26th. Pardon me. And Hampstead School on the 27th. Okay. Yeah. So those are both in that same neck of the woods and, and sort of uh, close to my area. So. Yeah, Lisa Dutton, Global's Lisa Dutton was actually at George V on Friday. Uh, so I was happy to, to sort of keep that in the family, so to speak, to by visiting the kids yesterday. And just as as fun fact, um, George V, I don't know how old that school is. I like going into old schools. Old schools are, are amazing. It's just, uh, just even the sound of walking down the hall. I would, uh, it would be, that would be a neat place to work. I, although I imagine perhaps with an older building, maybe it has its infrastructure issues or whatever, but uh, yeah, just the, the sound and the feeling of being in that old school. Although it's funny <laughs> when I got there yesterday, I had to report to the office and I don't know how you feel when you do this, but when I got the, the odd time I go to a school because I'm a visitor, I have to report to the office. And when I walk into the office, I feel nervous. But and then cool. I got hauled into the principal's office yesterday <laughs> and I got nervous. All the time. All the time I get nervous. I was at Isaac Brock two years ago. We took the Grey Cup there with uh, our good friend, the keeper of the cup, mm -hmm. um, Jeff McWinney. You went to that school, didn't you? I went to that school. It's well over 100 years old. It hasn't been a school for 100 years, but uh, almost 100 years. And I have always dreamt of owning that school and turning it into condos or apartments <laughs> because the ceilings are gigantic, 12, 13, 14 foot ceilings, okay. tons of windows, and it's been immaculate and, and very well cared for as far as I can remember. As long as I can remember, they're always maintaining it. It's a beautiful old building, solid as a rock like sincerely would love to get my hands on it, but they can continue to teach kids there for a little while yet. <laughs> so when you went, did you yeah. have to go to the office? Yeah. Did that bring back some memories? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Daniel Mac this past year too, and I, oh boy, I spend more time in that office than I care to admit. When the vice principal knows you're, when there's 1,300 students, and your vice principal says to you, Mr. Mackling, where, where, what are you doing in the hallways? Oh, I have a spare, Mr. Hatcher. No, you don't. You have <laughs> drafting right now. That's not a good sign. <laughs> we want to talk about times that we were boneheads. That we did something just inexplicably dumb. And it happens to us all where you go, why the heck did I just, why did I do that? And Greg, you're the inspiration for this. Oh, I'm so I'll happy you to set be, it up. I'm so happy to be the inspiration <laughs> for, for dumb, dumb stuff. Um, I got to be careful here because there's a surprise involved. Let's just put it this way. Uh, there's an important event happening this summer. I need four tickets to said event. Okay. So I, um, I'm on the website, shopping around, find the seats that I want for this event. And I'm very happy with the location of the seats for this event. I purchased tickets to said event and uh, shared my elation with one of my friends, one of which is supposed to be at this event with me, and goes, well, am I, do I, am I coming? I said, well, yeah. Well, why did you only buy three tickets? <laughs> oh. <laughs> we needed four. Oh, my word. So I go back into the event page Find the seat next to the three that I've purchased. Well, lo and behold, they won't let me buy the fourth seat Just because it'll split because it'll split up a pair that's left over. <laughs> so this is on Monday. The events in the U.S. It's a holiday there also. So I phoned the box office yesterday. I go, I did something really dumb, 
And this lady must have heard this story, this similar story a hundred times. So she goes, oh yeah, I can do that for you. No problem. It took like less than 120 seconds to rectify it. But for 15 hours, I was stressed out about <laughs> the fact, not only that I'd not bought the right amount of tickets, the fact that I bought the wrong amount of tickets. And it's like, how does your brain do that? <laughs> I knew I needed four, but I only bought three. And they, like six times they must have asked, are you, are you ready to purchase this? Are you confident that your purchase <laughs> is the correct purchase? And it's like, yes, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 204-780-6868. Tell us about a time you were a bonehead for a chance to win those tickets for WSO's Night at the Movies, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Cameron Poitras, let's start with you. I think the stupidest thing I ever did was um, my family used to have a cottage out uh, at Netley Creek, and it was just a trailer, and it was my grandparents' place, and we used to go out there during the summer when I was a kid. And um, there was sort of this faux stone. It was really like vinyl or linoleum or something like that, but it was made to look like uh, stones, and that was the the sort of the wall uh, was, um, you know, and it was sort of, it wasn't wallpaper, but it was, you know, it was like the design of the wall. Um, and I was lying on the couch there one time and I guess everybody was outside, you know, doing what you do, uh, at the cottage. And I was just lying there and, uh, there was a felt marker, uh, sitting on, um, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the table. And I just grabbed that marker and I just grabbed it, took off the cap and I started coloring in between the <laughs> fake stones Why? with my black marker. And I just started, kept doing it. And then my mom walks in and she goes, what the heck are you doing? And I went, what? She says, why are you doing that? I'm like, I, I don't know. And my grandma walks in and she goes, what are you like? She just, she's like, what's, what, what, what's, what's the matter with you? I have no idea why I did this. I have no purpose to it. There was no reason. My mind just started doing it. I had, I had no recourse to do any of it. I had no excuse. I, I couldn't say anything because there was no reason for it. Did you have to keep going to finish it? No, it's so it, just so it wasn't the, uneven. No, it was just like there was these. It didn't even finish in between the rocks. So there was just like this felt black marker uh, between those two fake rocks uh, on the vinyl uh, wallpaper, whatever, for the rest of the time that we we were there. <laughs> oh, that's great. It looked so stupid, and it just was a reminder of my idiocy. <laughs> I had no clue why I did it. Great golf course out in Nedley Creek, by the way. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Well, I've talked about how I grew up playing just like house league hockey, and we would travel in the area of like northwestern Ontario just for games. So one time uh, going from Dryden to Kenora, it's about an hour and a half, two hours. And at the time, I'm old enough to be able to like pack up all my stuff. And like when you come home from a game, any hockey parents would know, like you air out the equipment, you spread it down, spread it out in the basement or wherever you're stinky area is for all that um but so I'm packing it all up like the morning of and as I did every single time but I was notorious for always at least leaving like an elbow pad or like a knee pad or shin guard something like that but before we leave my mom's like do you have everything trusting trusting and at the time I was like really intrigued in playing goalie and I was happening to fill in for goalie this one game because it was just house league and they share the positions and uh had the goalie skates but only brought one because I had both of my regular skates but I just did not connect that I was playing in net that game um Luckily, we got there before some other people, and a teammate was able to swing by my house and bring the other skate. Wow. You really got lucky <laughs> Save there. the day, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned something new. I didn't know that goalies had different skates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense, but sure. I just never knew that. Yeah. And well, they're important go. to be on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> they help a lot. <laughs> and Jeff Forte in Master Control. Uh, years ago... Me and my friend, we were going to Blink-182 concert, and this was years ago. And uh, we're taking a bus down to MTS Center at the time, and we're on the bus, and then all of a sudden, uh, a couple of guys that we know jump on the bus. They're going to the concert, too, and uh, the one guy turns to his buddy and goes, Hey, you got the tickets? And I was like, wait a minute. Reaching in my pockets, I don't have my tickets. <laughs> so me and my friend, we'd hop off the bus, 
book at home and like it was like a, a 15 20 minute run finally got home grabbed the tickets grabbed the next bus but we got there just in time as they're hitting stage but oh, it's like wow. but it's just like I, I'm, I'm the type of guy who you know I always do the phone wallets keys <laughs> the check and I guess I just didn't do the the check for the tickets that day <laughs> phone wallet keys no tickets that's right Clay Young, Global News Morning reporter extraordinaire, is standing by. He's he's healthy. He's fine. There's no concern there. At least physically, he's fine. Clay, good morning, my friend. Yeah, physically, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> thinking about that. What uh, have you got cooking over there at HSC? Mentally is another issue altogether. Uh, we're right in front of Volunteer Services at the Health Sciences Center. I'm with Jenny Kidder who's the manager of the volunteer services. Good to see you. Yes, good morning. Nice to see you. Yeah, a lot of people, uh, well, you know, it's the biggest hospital in the province. I would expect it to be very busy and pretty much 24-7. Quick question. Why did you decide to become a volunteer? Well, my kind of history with volunteering started when I was a lo- uh, quite a bit younger in my teens and getting involved in the community. Uh, and as I kind of chose a career path, I went into volunteer management and did some volunteer management training at Red River. And I'm really excited to be leading a team of staff as well as over 360 volunteers right now here at HSE. So what did they do? If, if someone is interested, they're listening to this and they wanted to become a volunteer at Health Sciences Center. How do they go about doing that? I'd love to tell you. So we have um, an application that is going live March 1st. So anyone that is interested in coming and being a volunteer at HSC can go and apply online. We have a variety of positions available. Our volunteers are at the bedside visiting with patients, both adults and children. Our volunteers are just distributing newspapers and books and magazines. Uh, They are assembling admission packages, so doing office work. They're helping people find their way in this giant maze of a campus. So they, people are, are on the ground doing tons of different things here to support our patients. Well, you know, I've, I've always wanted to, uh, and I have volunteered in some capacity, but seriously, I'm throwing this out there. I'd like to volunteer here and maybe visit some of the elderly patients. You know, because a lot of the uh, the seniors that are in here may not have a lot of people that come and visit them, and it can be extremely lonely. So, you know, I could come in here and, yeah, and I could, you know, say, uh, thank you, Gabby. We're live with Ernie Schlitz here, and I just joke around. I can make a friend here. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our people that visit patients, we call them bedside visitors. And they absolutely um, are looking for folks that might not have visitors, might not have a lot of family coming in, and who might be here for a long stay. So our long stay folks, um, and they're coming in to have friendly conversation, to talk about sports, to play games, play cards, play crib is really popular. Um, So our volunteers are really good at making connections with those patients that are maybe needing a little extra support during their stay here. Okay, well, hang on just one sec. You know, I'm just going to wander around the hallways. Here's two volunteers right here. Uh, can I get your name? Catherine Brunot. Catherine, and? Uh, Goma Brar. Okay, how long have you been a uh, volunteer? I've been volunteering here at HSC since February 2023. So about a year? Yeah. Around there. How about you? Same, same as her, about a year. Okay, you're both young ladies. What sort of satisfaction do you get coming here to, at the HSC to volunteer? I love coming here and visiting with patients and getting to talk to them and serve my community. It's really fulfilling and rewarding. Yeah, good for you. How about you? I like volunteering just because it's it's a position that gives both ways. You get motivated by the patients and you add a positive outcome in their stay here. Okay, and you have the book cart. And you have a variety of books here and magazines and everything else. I'll have to check those out. Uh, So to wrap up, um, do people, is there a website people can get more info on? Yeah, just throw in HSE volunteer into Google and you'll come up to HSE's website and we've got a volunteer page there with an application. 
And again, those applications are opening up March 1st for people that are interested in spring and summer opportunities. Okay, thank you so much. Anything else uh, you need here, guys? No, you covered it all as you always do, Clay. We love you, buddy. Thanks for this. We love you. We love you here at the HSC. <laughs> Global's Clay Young joining us live. Global News Morning is at HSC talking to volun- the good people who are volunteering to make life better for those who are in the hospital. What a great point uh, by one of those young women Clay was speaking with. The idea that you probably get more as much out of that visit with a patient that doesn't normally get visitors as they get out of it. The, the volunteering and doing good like that is such a win-win proposition. So, uh, yeah, if you want to, uh, if you want to get involved, uh, just vo- uh, just Google HSC volunteers. Uh, they have a new program starting up. And uh, you just need to uh, sign up and fill in an application and make sure you're suitable. And uh, you too could be making a difference at HSC. Whether or not you're paying close attention to the Republicans going through the motions of their presidential primary, you may have caught Donald Trump's statements on his approach to NATO should he become president for a second time. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. Now, retired Major General Scott Clancy is going to join us in a moment on the subject of whether or not this is political hyperbole. Is Donald Trump serious? So we're just getting uh, that guest on the phone at the moment. We'll give you a heads up that coming up at 8.05, we are going to hear uh, what Premier Wab Canoe had to say yesterday as it pertains to inflation because we got the latest inflation numbers. It's on the way down and Manitoba was the lowest in the country. And he says it's the gas tax holiday that was the reason why inflation is on the way down and contributed to inflation going on the way down across the country. Also today at 835, we just mentioned the Jets are coming up at 755. We've got Leah Hextall for our weekly Wednesday Jets chat at 835. And then a bit later on this morning at 935, we're going to speak to a Manitoba woman who says that delivery drivers are not following simple company protocols and has some concerns as it pertains to porch pirates. So in the meantime, Greg, our guest has now joined us on the line. Yeah, retired Major General Scott Clancy joining us to answer this question about Donald Trump's take on NATO. Uh, Scott, is this hyperbole or is Trump serious on this? No, I think that uh, everybody should listen very carefully to what Donald Trump says. You know, uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said it very clearly. He means what he says, and he tends to want to follow through on that, even if the institutions of government don't allow him to follow through on his statements or his hyperbole. He's serious and means it. Now, Trump's former National Security Advisor John Bolton Uh, joined Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block on Sunday. We just want to play 30 seconds of that. We're not in NATO out of charity. We're not defending Canada because we want to be nice to Canada. We're defending the alliance as a whole because it's in America's interest. Uh, And therefore, this idea that you can have a two-tiered NATO simply doesn't work. And I'll just take Canada as an example. We can't defend the United States effectively against incoming Russian or Chinese intercontinental ballistic missiles or or heavy bombers without being able to work together with Canada. Now, Scott, your final station in the Canadian Armed Forces was in Colorado Springs as the director of operations for NORAD. So if NATO is at risk, is that alliance at risk also? Absolutely. Uh, And and here's why. Donald Trump's comments with respect to, to NATO one, they're inflammatory to all the allies, especially in terms of, you know, overt kind of language like, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want to nations that don't contribute to what is a non-binding, you know, goal with respect to funding. And I think that's important to understand that you sign on to the alliance, an attack on one is an attack on all. We will support each other. And then you try to work out the details of all of that. So these are not dues that are owed. 
In the specific case of Canada, we don't meet 2%, but we're still the fifth or sixth largest out of an alliance of, you know, 30 that in terms of actual dollars spent. Second, this signals an American first, not a strong together piece. And, and, and that questions globally America's resolve in a crisis, because regardless of alliance commitments, it's going to come back to is in this in the U.S.'s best interest. Now, the U.S.'s nuclear deterrent underpins everybody's in the West's concepts of deterrence. The U.S. conventional forces and their commitment worldwide signal where those national interests are going to be held. So obviously, if they commit forces to NATO and they're behind NATO, then the nuclear deterrent backstops all this. This has led to people around Europe, since he's made these comments, speaking about developing a European nuclear deterrent. Now, this is really problematic for Canada. Canada and the United States are tied together, you know, fundamentally because of two things, and it's geography and values. The more we see things that Donald Trump or a future president of the United States say that distances us from our values, then it's only geography that ties us together. That's a slippery slope, because if the United States believes that it can defend North America without or can bully Canada and just use our territory or the skies above it any way that they wish, then the alliance of NORAD is fundamentally doomed. Retired Major General Scott Clancy is our guest in this segment. And uh, this, you know, I, I think a lot of people are doing their best, quite frankly, to not pay attention to what's going on in this latest round of, of political nominations and conversation in the United States. It's so divisive, Scott. Uh, but this alarm bell that you've sounded and, and when we uh, heard from John Bolton over the weekend with regard to NORAD, I just... You know, it's impossible now, you know, for many of us to to even consider ignoring what's going on, because this 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 impacts us in Canada. It, it absolutely does. You know, Canada has been somewhat complicit in this. I mean, the status of the Canadian military and you've seen a significant number of retired Canadian military officials coming forward again and again, saying, you know, that the Canadian military needs more defense spending and, 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 you know, we can't recruit large enough numbers, can't get them in the door large enough. So we've, all governments have been ignoring Canadian defense and Canadian citizens are generally apathetic towards defense. One, because of the Americans, but also because we just have a belief in in the global system of security that will defend against countries like Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. However, this is not proving to be true. And I think that's going to serve as a real problem the more that America sees itself in isolation from its allies, because then Canada becomes just a doorstop, whether it's economically or diplomatically or even, you know, from a security or defense point of view, a doormat for those other nations to to just come in and do as they see fit, using Donald Trump's words. We want to ask you about Ukraine before we let you go. But this is an example here, Scott, of some of the things that, that people will say Uh, We just got a text message on our text line from a listener. Trump is correct in saying what he did. Canada has been warned to spend their proper amount on military and the liberals keep on saying, oh, we don't need to. Here's a prime incident where Canada has fallen way behind their pledges. Your reaction to something like that? Absolutely true. Uh, I agree with the listener. I, I think I think that Donald Trump as an individual is extraordinarily inflammatory. I wouldn't trust him. I I wouldn't follow him out of curiosity because as a leader, he's just not. It's incoherent with respect to his approach to his allies or anything else. That doesn't make the underpinning of this in that all people in the alliance need to contribute more on defense. I'm not saying that 2% is the actual goal or should be or whatever else. What I'm saying is they have to contribute more, more. And Canada's role in allowing its Canadian Armed Forces to deteriorate to the point, either technologically or even numbers-wise, where our commitments are piecemeal and, and you know small detachments here and there, this is fundamentally the, the problem that that statement is correct upon. And as Russia's war in Ukraine continues to ravage that country, A nearly $95 billion aid package for Ukraine is in congressional limbo in the U.S. So how did did we get to this point? Well, I mean, it's easy to say democracy is messy. It's true. 
whether it's Canadian acquisition or this current stalled U.S. aid package between you know Congress and the House, this is the messy elements of economics in democracies. Quite honestly, I would live with all of the messiness in order to deal with the freedom that democracy allows. You know, in in terms of a difference between that and the authoritarian authoritarian regimes of like Russia and China. The stalled USAID has three implications. There's tactical implications, there's immediate diplomatic implications, but there's geostrategic implications. Tactically, ammunition shortages and the lack of systems, especially in artillery, and, and Russia has a 10 to 1 outmatch in artillery, and they can outrange the Ukrainian artillery systems. So that means that Ukrainians can't pursue options that have lots of munitions in them because they have to preserve them because the American backstop of that aid is not there to purchase those munitions. That means they're losing terrain, and they have lost some terrain, and they can't impose costs on the Russians like they could before. Diplomatically, President Zelensky's gone out to his other European allies to try and counterbalance that loss of immediate American aid. But it's difficult because the Europeans look at the threat and their specific needs to a growing threat from Russia to their specific countries and the rest of NATO, and that's affecting their capacity to help. So even though Germany and the Dutch and the French have come forward and said, yes, we're going to stand with you, it's being really problematic for them, and they don't have the military-industrial complex that the Americans do, nor the cash flow that they have. And this is leading to a geostrategic problem in Ukraine and for the Allies. Everybody's asking the same question three years in. What is the end game? You know, the U.S. in the short term, that's fine. Hey, we're going to contribute to the alliance. We're going to contribute to Ukraine. This is the right thing to do. These are our friends. But once this becomes start to be open-ended, questions about Crimea, the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. So what are we willing to give? Is there no end in sight to this? Where does this end? And, you know, the red line for Russia is going to be Crimea. So this begs the question inside of the Americans, and they're asking this, especially in the GOP, is this an American war? And the implications for us as an ally to the United States is seeing that you know, there's limits to exactly where the Americans might go to support their allies in, in a conflict. And, and that's going to be problematic for the entire world, not just Ukraine. Can't uh, say thank you enough on this. Your insight, uh, invaluable as always. Retired Major General Scott Clancy, uh, we appreciate this. You have a great day. Mackling and McGarry, we want to talk inflation and what the Premier had to say about it yesterday in just a moment. But before that, just experienced uh, an interesting moment here at 201 Portage as we continue to navigate the, the hybrid work model for some who work in offices. Apparently, Wednesday is not a work-from-home day in this building. <laughs> well, now the shortened work week may have impacted that. Yeah. So who knows, right? So what's going on? I'm not saying you're out of breath, but you kind of came in here pretty quickly. Guns hot. I just went downstairs for a quick vape. Yes, I vape. Nicotine <gasps> addiction. And uh, when I got downstairs, there was a big lineup for the elevator, and I thought, oh, boy, hopefully that clears up in the next two minutes. Nope, it got big, it got bigger. There were like 25 people in line. We've got five elevators that go from floors 19 to 31 and then another five elevators on the other side that go from, you know, to 2 to 18. And I don't know if all five are in operation at all times to get go from 19 to 30, but uh I thought I'm not going to make it. It's 802 and there are 25 people in front of me. But uh, thankfully, you know, I think 10 people crammed into one elevator and then five people got on the next one. And then I was able to get on the next one with another five people. And uh, yeah, so I came barreling down the hallway (laughs) just as the traffic was playing. (laughs) You didn't pull rank? No. I'm a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Let me through. I'm an architect. (laughs) No, I I don't. I, I couldn't ever bring myself to do that even at the at the airport when you know that the clock is ticking and you're in one of those long lineups and most people would be okay with you saying hey my flight's in 27 minutes they're Mm. gonna cut me off here anytime or whatever the magic number is i don't know if i could do that either yeah yeah i don't i don't blame you for (laughs) for declaring an elevator emergency uh, so anyway, uh, if you've ever, if you've experienced this in your place of work, 
depending on the, because I have noticed Tuesdays and Wednesdays typically are busier in terms of the population of this building. Uh, but feel free to weigh in on that if you've got some experience with the, if you work in a situation where some people might be working from home. But right now, let's talk inflation. As I was scrolling through stuff on my phone late yesterday afternoon to get caught up a little bit on what I'd missed over the last few hours, I came across this post from Premier Wabkanu. Good news. We lowered inflation in Manitoba, and it's all because we cut the provincial gas tax. According to Statistics Canada, because of that move that we made on your behalf to help your family, inflation in our province is now below 1%. Now, here's the thing. I recognize that this work is not done. You're still feeling the impact of interest rates, grocery prices. So definitely, we're going to have to take more steps. But I just wanted to provide this update because you know what? Our cut to the provincial fuel tax actually helped to reduce inflation across Canada. So look at little Manitoba doing big things, but of course, more work to do on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Well, I, does that now open the door for more conversation about carbon taxes? Lots of you been yelling and screaming about that for the last several months, that if the carbon tax was taken off uh, fuel, even temporarily, the impact it might have on the Canadian economy, the impact it might have on the cost of goods. Is this proving that point? By removing 14 cents worth of provincial excise tax on fuel in one province, that has such a gigantic and enormous impact. Obviously, it's not the only thing that's uh, impacted the reduction in inflation across Canada or in Manitoba, but it's played a, apparently, according to the premier, pretty big part of it. Well, here's a full summary and some reaction from an economist with Global Winnipeg anchor Lisa Dutton. Canada's inflation rate trending down last month with Manitoba holding the lowest inflation rate among provinces. Stats Canada says nationally the inflation rate dropped to 2.9% last month. For Manitoba, January's inflation rate came in at 0.8%. StatsCan says the leading contributors to the decrease were gasoline prices and slowing grocery costs. The Manitoba government is touting its gas tax holiday for contributing to the inflationary decline. Premier Wab Canoe would not say whether the tax pause would be extended past June, but said come July, Manitobans will continue to have a government that saves them money. Manitobans to this day continue to save 14 cents a litre off what the prices otherwise would be had we not taken this step. It's direct help to Manitobans who have been struggling with inflation and struggling with higher costs. Well, one economist agrees the gas tax holiday has helped inflation. He says there is a flip side. The temporary price slash at the pumps doesn't impact those needing financial relief most, noting it hardly touches the wallets of Manitobans who can't afford a car. The University of Manitoba's Jesse Hager adds, while inflation is expected to keep dropping, the eventual return of the provincial gas tax will bump rates up again. He believes there are more sustainable ways to reduce living costs for Manitobans. Having uh, targeted credits and benefits help, uh, you can think of uh, supporting public transit, reducing transit fares, for example. Um, The cost of the gas tax, for example, could have easily paid for free transit for Manitobans. Well, there will be always ways to justify spending other money at 100%. Uh, Brett, you're in the group of people who haven't seen a single benefit, at least direct benefit, from this gas tax cut. That is correct, because the last time I put gas in my car was late 2023. I haven't filled up my gas tank since December. You better I still have half a tank. You better put some gas in there. Your gas might go bad <laughs> before before you need to use it at that rate. Yeah, because I barely drive all you know all the almost all of the kilometers I'll put on in a year come during the summer months, and in the winter months I'll drive my car maybe maybe once a week on average. So, yeah, I haven't seen, a, as you pointed out, a direct benefit from this yet, but feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868, and you can read more on inflation at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. It is Mackling and McGarry. Just wanted to say hello quickly to my friends 
at George the Fifth School at Union and Gray. I know some of them are listening this morning. Madame Ott, who had me down yesterday for I Love to Read Month. Hello, Madame Ott, and hello to Aaron, and hello to Monsieur Below. And we bring this up just as a reminder that tomorrow we're going to speak to an educator on the importance of reading stories to the kids, to your kids. I got all kinds of questions. You know, like what's the importance of the illustrations, for example? How can that help your kids? Because one of the things, anytime I go and see the kids, I think for especially for people like me who don't have kids, mm-hmm. you might forget that they're like actual human beings. <laughs> you know, like they, that they they have functioning brains and that they're quick as a whip. Some of the clever questions they ask, and how do these stories help form and help shape those young, clever minds? Reading might be as important now as it's ever been, right? Because, yeah, we've been competing with kids have been competing. Parents have been competing with television for kids' attention for a long time and maybe reduce the amount of reading that they're doing. Well, if TV was distracting them from reading, what Good on point. earth is social media and handheld devices done to distract them and, and you know, uh, stop them? prevent them, I'll put that in quotation marks, from from reading more. So it might be as important now as it's ever been. So that'll be coming up tomorrow in this particular time slot at 8.35. But right now in this particular time slot, before we bring Leah Hextall on the air to talk Jets, we have to go back to her last visit three weeks ago. Mackling wanted names, demanded names of players the Jets might look to add for a run to the playoffs. John Monaghan is set to be a UFA. He's a veteran forward. He comes in and brings some secondary scoring. He has the ability to play in the middle. He plays in all situations, including the power play and the PK. In addition to that, we heard Rick Bonus talk about the power play and an issue there is they're not winning the draws. They spend the first 30 to 40 seconds of the PP trying to get established. Well, you know what? Sean Monaghan is excellent in the dot, 57%. He wins those type of draws, and then he gets out there and he's able to execute. I know that Sean Monaghan has had some injury issues in the past, but right now I feel like he's a good fit. He's a good cap hit. And, you know, the Winnipeg Jets have first and second rounders for the next few drafts, and trust me, they're going to have to spend them. But the Jets have been so conservative, and I really feel like this is the time. It's so hard to win in this league, and it is time for the Winnipeg Jets to go all in. Dues paid. ESPN commentator and analyst Leah Hextall joins us now. Well done, my friend. Terrific insight. Uh, absolutely accurate prediction. Um, we don't have to, you know, fawn over the uh, the fact that you were correct. Yeah, and, I, oh. I think we should, Greg. I mean, I really, like, how smart did that girl sound? My goodness gracious. Sign her up. I mean, if Shetty needs any more help, I'm here. So, wow. No, hello, boys. Good morning. <laughs> We've been giving you due for a long time, I but, you it. know, we, we felt uh, compelled to take it a little bit for, further this morning. So, um, Sean Monahan, natural hat trick on Monday afternoon in Calgary. Uh, impactful again last night. The Jets' power play finally getting going, exactly why they brought him here. Absolutely. And, you know, he's obviously playing very well in that bumper position. He makes great reads on that power play. And it really all it does is it just opens up other options for the Jets on the PP. And that's why they're starting to find some success. I mean, the other aspect of it that we have to realize is that for the first time in a long time, this Jets roster is healthy. Knock, knock, knock on wood, but they're healthy. So on that power play, you see all of the different options out there with Shifley being there, Cal Connor being there, Gabe Velarde is doing great things in front of the net, and then Josh Morrissey's going to quarterback it. So you bring that addition of Monaghan to it, and right now you're seeing exactly why they went out and got him. He's a great addition to the power play. You look, they've got consecutive goals in three straight games, and if that can continue, it's going to be such a benefit for them throughout the rest of the season and hopefully into an extended playoff run because if you don't have that power play going, you don't got a chance. And right now it's looking pretty good, and it clicks. Leah, what's your take on uh, Laurent Brossois? Does he need to play more, like, i.e., do the Jets need to take advantage of him to make sure that Connor Hellebuck is rested for the playoffs? 
I think absolutely. I mean, we've seen Loren Bressois come in and we know what type of backup he is. I don't even like using really the word backup. I think the Jets have the luxury of having, yes, a Vesna Trophy winner in Connor Hellebuck, but it's a 1A, 1B situation, really. There's so much trust within Loren Bressois in the organization that he can come in against any team, not just playing him against teams that they think that they're going to get perhaps an easy win again, even though there's not really easy wins in this league. But they need to play him more because, you know, Listen, we know Connor Hellebuck loves to play. He's always usually 60-plus games. Since he entered the league, six of the eight years he's been in it, he's finished second in games played. So we know he's a workhorse. But we've also seen in the playoffs where it's not that he's not playing well, but there is a fatigue that's going to set in. And if the Jets have the luxury to be able to play Bressois, any, like let's just say even just over 20 games, give him another 10 starts this season, that's definitely going to help Connor Hellebuck as they go into the playoffs. And you know, I really think if, you know, honestly, they're going to go into Chicago here. I think Brissois should play the next two games. I think he should play Chicago. I think he should play Arizona and give Hellebuck some time before the big boys and the big games against St. Louis and Dallas happen. I mean, we have to look at the standings here, boys. You look at that central division. You've got to finish first. Do you want to play Colorado or Dallas in the first round? Because I sure don't. Not with the way that those two teams play, especially with their experience in the playoffs. So winning the division vision is super important for these Jets and having a rested goaltender in your starter, Connor Halbeck, is really important heading into the playoffs and they got the guy who can help that out in Brissois. Just to expand on that very quickly, Leah, lots of teams will look at their backup goaltender position and go if we can you know, be 500, if my backup can be 500, we're happy with that. Well, Brissois is 8-4 and four, so if he's a 500 goalie, you minimum take away two wins from the Jets win total, that's four points now they're on 69 points as opposed to 73 and so St. Louis instead of being 13 behind they're nine behind it and so that conversation is maybe a little bit different and first place is is probably off the table if Brassois isn't giving you what he's giving you so I, I'm going to back you up on that one 100% last night Logan Stanley made his way back into the lineup for Nate Schmidt uh, we saw some some rough stuff between these two teams in their two games uh, at the end of uh, the 2023 calendar year, Leah. So Stanley did get in a fight after um, after Minnesota defenseman. Uh, what's his first name? Is it Jake? Jake McMiddleton took out one of the Jets' star players as Stanley took exception. But he didn't get an instigator penalty, as we saw in Saturday night when a Vancouver player stood up for one of their stars against Adam Lowry, and Lowry dropped the gloves. Why is there no consistency? Because my son Alexander says, Dad, shouldn't that be an instigator on 64? And it absolutely should be. And your son is very smart, so he must get it from his mother, I assume. So the fact is, though, is that, you know, yeah, it's Logan Stanley, in my opinion, should have gotten an instigator there. And we see this in the league where there is inconsistency with it, or it's only used if a player kind of comes and jumps in. You know, we saw yesterday, and I can understand that Stanley would have seen the play in real time. It's very quick, but it was very evident on the broadcast that, you know, you could see Middleton after check in with Shifley. He did not mean to take him into the boards that way. That's a hockey play. That's going to happen. The game is fast. These players play hard, especially a player like Jake Middleton and Mark Shifley. I am really tired of players not getting instigators for this type of play. And here's the reason why we are losing our sport and the physicality in it. And it's getting boring because you can't even hit somebody and not get jumped anymore. Every time there's a hit, and I look to former Winnipeg Jet, New York Rangers captain Jacob Truba, he delivers a clean hit and he gets jumped. You shouldn't have to fight because you deliver a clear hit. And the instigator penalty has to be used for that because the reason it came in was to stop people from getting in fights, stop that third party from coming in and jumping in. It's the same thing. And especially if it's not a penalized play, if it's not a penalty on the play and you jump in, you should get an instigator. You should be getting the two, five and the 10 and sitting your butt down because this sport is getting too nicey nice. Listen, I don't want dirty plays in this game. Absolutely not. But we are losing the fact that players can't even be physical. And we have a generation coming up that isn't used to being hit. And that's why Connor Bedard had a broken jaw and was out because he went through the middle of the ice with his head down and they stood him up. And that's because there's, you know, this whole generation that's coming up that isn't being touched and is 
seeping into our game where now there's just no hitting at the NHL level. There is physical play in professional hockey. It needs to be allowed. And if a player does what Logan Stanley did last night, he deserves to sit and it deserves to be an instigator. And there's got to be a way to find some consistency in that. All right, Leah, we didn't get through the list of things I wanted to discuss with you, but uh, we had to play that one-minute clip off the top, so so there you go. That's that's well, the penance. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, boys. That's, uh, that made my day. Thank you for bringing that up. When you, that kind of makes you the prognosticator of prognosticators. Are you going to be setting up shop in uh, Punxsutawney to take over Groundhog Day predictions for Phil? No, I'll leave that for Phil. I think he does a great job, and he wakes up way too early. So, no, I'm not going to be jumping in there. All right, Leah, thanks so much for joining us. A pleasure as always. Thanks, boys. Leah Hextall, ESPN commentator and analyst, joining us live on 680 CJOB for our weekly Wednesday Jets chat. It's Mackling and McGarry. We've got tickets to give away for Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's BMO Night at the Movies, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Friday, March 16th. There's also a show on, pardon me, Friday, March 15th. There's also a show on Saturday the 16th. We're asking you about a time you were a bonehead. Like Greg set it up this morning, fell on the sword and said, I bought three tickets for something when I needed four and had to go through a whole rigmarole to secure that fourth ticket. And uh, so one of our runners up here is Adam who says, here's a bonehead thing I've done recently. This year was the first time anyone in my family decided to play hockey. My son's first game of the season was out in LaSalle for 8 a.m. Big deal that morning. Myself, my wife, my daughter, and son all got up nice and early, got ready to drive out to LaSalle, all prepared for the game, only to realize as soon as we got there, I put all of my son's hockey gear in my car, but we took my wife's SUV. Oh, boy. Needless to say, I am an idiot. My wife and my daughter drove all the way back to Winnipeg to grab the gear and then drive all the way back out to LaSalle while my son and I waited for them to show up. He managed to play the third period. This has not happened again, as I still have not lived it down and probably won't. My follow-up question to Adam, because we, we had previously been discussing the... The school I visited, George V, and the sinkhole in front of it, and sure. he said that he had lived in that area. And so I said, "You don't, you don't still live in Elmwood, do you?" And he said, "No, thankfully Sage Creek. So Sage Creek to LaSalle, much quicker than Elmwood, right? Because he <laughs> yes. just zip up fifty nine to the perimeter and you're gone. Yeah, you deke out pretty quickly there. Oh boy, yeah, that's that's a rough one. But if it was Elmwood in the middle of the city, Ugh. I can relate. Or doesn't matter any central neighborhood, forget it. You're yep. screwed. Yep." Kid would not have been playing. Um, I'll read Sarah's, and then, Greg, you can bring us home with the winner. Okay. Sarah says, one day when I was at Costco with my toddler and my six-month-old baby, I could not find my car keys anywhere. I assumed I dropped them somewhere in the parking lot or the store. After looking for 30 minutes, I admitted defeat. I called my husband to drive them to me. We live an hour away, by the way. Only to find them in my purse that Mm -hmm. evening. That same week, I locked my keys in my car while at Walmart. (laughs) Can we say baby brain, says Sarah. So, Sarah, another great story. But, Greg, our winner today is Henry P. My bonehead story started with this plan that I had, which involved going to Atlanta to visit family on a one-way aeroplan ticket and then buy a vehicle there to take to Whitefish, Montana, where I worked under a working visa. Got a great deal on a truck, but never checked if there was a lien on it. Well, there, there, there was put on, there was, pardon me, there was a lien put on it by his ex-wife. Couldn't get title or insurance on this vehicle. Had to be in Whitefish at a certain date, so my second bonehead decision was to drive it there anyway. No license plates diagonally across the states. Drove mainly at night, slept during the day, got to my destination, and about a mile away from home, I was stopped by the sheriff. Luckily, my story (laughs) confused him to the point where he just told me to park the truck and not drive it until I figured things out. Looking back, things could have turned out a lot worse. (laughs) Gosh, Henry. Ah, Tremendous stories, as always, from all. Thank you for bringing your stories 
for I Love to Read Month. We love to read your stories. So, Henry, for your story, you win tickets for Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's BMO Night at the Movies, Harry Potter, and the Half-Blood Prince on March 15th. But right now, we got a question for you. Have you ever walked out your door to find a package was delivered while you were home? Maybe you were even waiting for that exact package. As more and more of us purchase items online for delivery, Brett, our interaction with those tasked with getting those purchases to us safe and sound increases. And one of our listeners reached out to us yesterday to ask a simple question. Why don't you ring the doorbell? Christine Ross joins us now. Christine, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? We're doing well. We appreciate you bringing this experience to us and trusting us with your story. How often are you ordering items online? Well, it's uh, I'm ordering things off of Amazon maybe once, sometimes twice a week during maybe a holiday time or birthdays and things like that. Uh, but my husband and I, we both work out of home and uh, we have several packages that come per week. Um, as well from, uh, you know, various uh, vendors that we represent. And um, it seems to be the, the majority of the problems that we have are with Amazon and private carriers that are, I guess, contracted couriers. So not so much any issues with, uh, say, Pure Later, UPS, Canada Post, but definitely with Amazon and the, the private couriers. What sort of problems are you experiencing? Well, so my, my desk is pretty much right in front of the front window so I can see anybody that pulls in. And uh, so they will just they'll pull in. They will literally throw my package onto my step, take a picture and walk away. So after a period of time that this was happening, um, you know, I would go out and I would say, excuse me, is there a reason that you're not ringing the doorbell or notifying us that, you know, that you're here? And um, some of the excuses that they give are, one guy said, well, if we hear a dog, then we know someone's home and you'll, you'll come and find the package. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was another carrier that had come and says, well, uh, you know, we, we'll just leave the pallet on your, dro- on your driveway if you're not home. Um, some play, you know, plead ignorance that they didn't know that they were supposed to do that. Some will just completely ignore you and walk away when you're trying to ask them. And, you know, we're not we're not being harassing. We're just simply asking, is there a reason that you're not doing it? Well, and so I, I'm guessing your concern is more out of the fact that you're there, you see people come, but if they're not yes. doing it at your door, that means they're not doing it elsewhere. Is that fair to say? Is that is that why you want to talk about this publicly? Absolutely. So, I mean, we're, we're home for the most part, but there have been times where we haven't been home. And uh, so we've had porch pirates come and take our packages and things like that. I know that we've also had that issue uh, with neighbors and it's happening everywhere. And um, it's just, it's getting a bit frustrating because it doesn't seem that, you know, these drivers are being held accountable and you can call Amazon, you can call these couriers and, and they'll tell you themselves that it is protocol for them to ring your doorbell or notify the residents, but they're not following it. So I don't know if it's a case of they're, you know, being paid peanuts and, you know, they don't care or if it's just pure laziness. I'm not sure, but it's, it's very getting very frustrating. Well, and I had a situation yesterday, Christine, and I shared it earlier in the show, but I don't know if you caught it. You probably didn't uh, because I can't remember like two hours ago, but um, I was sitting at home in my apartment and I heard some some light noise, some rustling outside my door, sort of in the hall. And I thought nothing of it. I just figured it was one of my neighbors. And then I went to go to the store two hours later, and I opened the door, and there's a FedEx package leaned up against my door. So then I connected the dots and realized, oh, that's the noise that I heard. So they took the time to gently nudge it up against my door, but then no knock. Like they, I didn't, I didn't, wouldn't expect them to be standing there when I opened the door, but at least knock to let me know. Oh. And that's just it. And, you know, we don't have to sit there and, ha- you know, engage in a long conversation, but you can, you can knock or ring the doorbell and walk away. But just a simple notification that you have delivered it, it, it just seems so simple to me. So 
It's <laughs> it feels simple to me as well, uh, Christine. But right away, here's a text message. Uh, good morning to this Amazon issue. Does you, your mail person ring your doorbell? Yeah. Well, no, your mail person does, right? When you have a yeah. package, but if they're delivering mail and they're just putting it in in your mailbox, no, they don't because okay. it's secure. But the, the times are changing, right? So people are ordering more and more things, more and more expensive things that are sitting on steps. We know that it's an issue, that things are disappearing. And so you had like, is it easier for, for I think you had a question in your email, a hypothetical, like is it to the point where it's just easier for them to send you another one than to ask all their drivers to, to follow their own policy? And I think it's a great question. Well, and the other thing too is that, you know, uh, when I, one of the times when I spoke to Amazon, you know, they said, well, you know, do you have it in your delivery instructions? And I said, if you pull up my delivery instructions, it'll say, please ring the doorbell or knock on the door. And in the event that nobody is home, leave it with my neighbor. And they don't even do that. So it's just easier for them. They just ship me out a new package and away they go. And, you know, it makes me wonder with these places, is the profit that good that the losses are completely ignored? You know, it's just that, uh, I don't know, the measurement of efficiency, uh, it's just, I don't know, these companies are not paying any attention to. Now, Christine, uh, I wonder, do you think some of this maybe has to do perhaps with the the pressure that might be on these drivers? Because I imagine they're under a tremendous amount of stress given the number of things they, they might have to deliver in a day. I mean, I have no idea what it's like to, to be a delivery driver, but I would guess that, uh, you know, you're under the gun constantly. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I see, you know, your point. I just, I don't know how much longer it takes them. You know, they're, they're already standing at your doorstep taking a photograph. I, what is it going to take two seconds additionally in their time to, you know, knock on your door and run away um, I don't know. I, I think that companies as large as Amazon should take pride in in their deliveries. And I and I I don't know. I don't think it takes that much extra time to follow through with protocol. Now I have done the home deliveries of a different sort. Most notably, uh, I was a milk man, and people certainly didn't want me knocking or ringing their doorbell at four o'clock in the morning when I was dropping off their milk. But, you know, uh, going up the steps, right, it's it's an extra it's an extra step in the process if you've got front steps, etc. So I can understand, you know, being in that circumstance. But if it's the policy and that if that's part of the job and the guys Mm -hmm. and gals that are doing these jobs, if they're going back and they're saying, you know, what, I don't have time to do this part of it then this is on the company to make sure that the that the roots are structured thus that these people can do all their jobs. Like one of our listeners just said, get a ring device. I don't think that's the point here. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, we ended up getting surveillance on our house because of this issue. So, you know, it, it's just, I don't know how else we can manage it. I mean, could we just say, well, I'm not going to order from Amazon, but that also doesn't solve our problem when we have other, you know, couriers that are coming to deliver things as well. And they don't know what's in these packages. And, and I've got several clips where they just, they're throwing it on your doorstep. And fortunately, it's been a mild winter this year. But, you know, if, if you're not home for a couple hours and you've got something in there that's, you know, temperature sensitive, then what? It's, no. I don't know. Now, these items that you're ordering, and you, you don't need to disclose what the items are, um, but I'm just like, are they things that you just simply cannot get? Like if you were to go out and get them? Um, you know, it's some things, some things that's out of, you know, laziness. I mean, I, I try to, you know, shop local as much as I can and, and uh, you know, also support, you know, customers that uh, that support us in business as well. But there are things that, yeah, it's you're just lazy and, oh, this will be delivered tomorrow. I'll just do it that way. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I yeah, to answer your question, I, I, I suppose I could manage it a different way. But I'm, not, but, no, I'm not suggesting you're doing anything wrong. I was just curious, like, yeah. you know, in the, like, let's say you're, you are out. Like, if it's because my mom used to order stuff from all over the world for her crafting. And it was stuff that uh, like she would have to like source out. So I can't find this here, I, uh, but I can right. order it from th- 
Thailand or I don't know where she was getting her stuff from. Uh, so there right. were some, she was getting a lot of stuff delivered that she couldn't find in Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And you know, a lot of the stuff too is, uh, you know, kind of niche birthday gifts and stuff like that. And, and yeah, just kind of things like that. But, uh, you know, the other thing is that, you know, with the business that we do, we get a lot of chocolate and candy that are delivered to our door and um, it's temperature sensitive. So just that simple knock on the door, things like that would be great. Or just leaving it with, with the neighbor would be always appreciated, but it's just not, it's not happening. <laughs> well, Christine, we appreciate, we thank you first of all, for bringing this to our attention and we appreciate the, uh, the perspective and insight you've brought in this, because I imagine that this is something that affects a lot of people and uh, yeah. we just needed to sort of kick off the discussion. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it, and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, Christine Ross, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Feel free to weigh in with your feedback on this. Oh, there's lots of feedback. And your experience as well, be it good or be it bad. Any feedback you'd like to share? Uh, How about this one? Uh, I'm thankful when they don't ring the doorbell. As a family with two uh, shift workers with night shifts, once... Parents of a young baby and a dog curls our curls our blood when we hear the doorbell. Amazon drivers are able to follow to my delivery instructions. Good. I get notifications when my package is en route. When delivered, that's fine for me. What I get frustrated is when Canada Post says I wasn't home and I was, then have to go to Canada Post location and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of layers to this. We understand this isn't a one size fits all circumstance. And uh create a lot of discussion here. Not everybody necessarily disagrees or necessarily agrees with Christine on this one.